I'm Brandon Rakowski, and I watched the 2020 version of Stephen King's The Stand, so you don't have to. <laughs> wow, that was a ripoff. <laughs> all right, yes, well, this is, uh, is going to be um, a shitty episode, so that's all you need to know. You can just tune out now and go watch Living Nightmares episode four, because we need the views. <laughs> please watch Living Nightmares number four. Please. please. Anyway, um, so over the course of the last month, I've been watching the new miniseries based on Stephen King's The Stand. Hey, Zach, don't you love it how it took him a month to watch it? I mean... Yeah, there are nine episodes, and I spaced them out over like a month. If Zach is going to tell you anything about how he feels about it, that'll be, the, that'll be a really big clue. Did I remember I heard him say, what the fuck at one point? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at Ben, and I'm just like, is he watching Star Wars? The, uh, nope. <laughs> uh, so... For those of you that might not know what Stephen King's The Stand is about, um, I actually think it's one of his best stories. Uh, the expanded version of the novel is, I believe, his longest work at like 1,100 pages and some change. It's a long book. Uh, a lot of characters, a lot happens. It starts off with there's this virus that goes around that pretty much kills off 99% of the world's population. Shit. And takes place over multiple cities in the United States. Um, during the pandemic, there are characters getting, having these dreams, all right? And half of them are having dreams um, being communicated with by this woman named Mother Abigail in Colorado, just calling them to come to Colorado. And the other half are having dreams with this man named Randall Flagg calling them to Las Vegas. And so after most of the world is dead, the survivors travel to their called locations, Colorado and Las Vegas. And it's pretty much like supposed to be like the final stand between good and evil. Very huge epic storytelling. Uh, in 1994, uh, Stephen King wrote a teleplay, four-part miniseries that was directed by Mick Garris, and that miniseries starred Gary Sinise, um, Ruby D, Ossie Davis. Uh, there are a lot of people in it. Rob Lowe was a character. Um, yeah, a lot of people. Uh, Shawnee Smith from the Saw movies and The Blob. She mm. had a character in a couple episodes. Mm. Matt Frewer, he was a pretty important character for the end. Um, Miguel Ferrer, I always have trouble with his last name, but he's been a lot of stuff. Um, huge cast. Um, Ed Harris and Kathy Bates have cameos in the first episode. Oh, okay. And... That 94 miniseries was one of my favorite movies in middle school. And I actually watched it about a year ago now. And I still think it holds up, despite some 1990s-ness to it. Um, <laughs> and it was a made-for-network TV miniseries. So they couldn't get away with so much in the violence and everything. It still holds up. And it still feels huge. Like, they actually shot it over multiple locations in the country, and it feels like it. And during the whole pandemic, epidemic, people dying, it's, there are just so many, like, you feel the scope of the fear of who's actually going to survive this thing. Like, what is going on? 
the um, I know I know it came up a lot during this whole time. The uh, who we're talking about it quite a bit, and then I know that the the, um, that the TV series got a lot of really good feedback. A lot of people have recommended it to me over the years. Yeah. Never had an opportunity to seen it to see it. Um, uh, the but I have been recommended it several times. You're not the only good. one. I highly recommend it. It's mm. a good one. At least what I've heard. Mm. And so they've been wanting to do a remake of the stand for a while. And I feel a stand is something that could be remade. Mm. Um, despite how good the 94 miniseries is, um, like I said, it was made for network TV, so they couldn't get as much away with like the sex and violence. And that was actually based on the shorter first edition version of the novel. From like 1978, I think, mm. and then in like the early 90s, mm. King did expand it, put roughly about 400 pages back into it, updated it a little bit for that time period. So there's like 400 pages of material not adapted for the screen yet. Plus, I believe there are some characters that need to be combined. There are some events that needed to be sort of skipped over for the six hours. So, and now, of course, we have streaming and everything where you can get away with a whole lot more. Yeah, yeah. There, there are things you can bring to a remake that justify a remake. This was not the remake <laughs> that it deserved. Um, I'm not going to go into its production history of how many different directors have been attached to this, but I do want to just head right into this series and my thoughts. Did and, Stephen King have anything to do with this? Yes. Okay. Um, he actually wrote the finale. Okay. And I believe he gave approval to the scripts as well. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I'm going to divide this up in beginning, middle, and end. Um, so, pretty much there are like the first three episodes, the middle three episodes, and the last three episodes... And my opinion really differs greatly between those three sections. Right. Um, the first three episodes, this is where it's really rough because it is a chronological story in the book. It is a chronological story in the 94 miniseries. And there's also a Marvel Comics graphic novel adaptation, which is super faithful and really good to the book. Um, it's... I highly recommend all three of those versions. Um, the 94 miniseries is what I'm most familiar with. I read the book when I was in middle school, um, so I don't remember a whole lot of little details from the book. And I read the graphic novel uh, maybe about three or four years ago now. I could be definitely tempted on the, I could definitely be tempted on that graphic novel. Yeah, check it out. It's massive. It's cool. Um, but the 94 miniseries is, to me, my definitive version of The Stand. Mm. Mm -hmm. All three of those versions are chronological. Um, and so I mentioned earlier how there are people who are called to Colorado, and they pretty much, those people pretty much start like a new, the beginnings of a new society. Um, the miniseries starts there. And the first three episodes is this weird flashback structure. So it takes about three episodes to really introduce all the main characters and which there's nothing wrong with that per se, but since they start with them like cleaning out dead bodies from Colorado and they're focusing on maybe two characters per episode and their stories are told in flashback and there are even a couple episodes where there's flashback within the flashback mm -hmm. 
And what that does is it chops up everybody's stories. Um, it, I feel like it diminishes their journeys from where they started at the pandemic to them making it to Colorado. Mm. Because it's like, all right, you know who's going to survive the pandemic. So that, le- that lessens the impact of them getting through the pandemic. Which in some cases can be effective, in some cases not here. Not yeah. Um, this just and then complete and utterly pointless. Yeah. Like when he was explaining this to me, I'm just like, this sounds stupid. And to me, it's like I feel like the for, the, for those first three episodes, I feel like the only reason I knew what was going on is because I was already familiar with the story. Mm-hmm. I feel like if he were to watch those first three episodes, he would be completely lost. And what a disservice to new people, you know, that, yeah. that may be fans of. You know what, and that's the thing is, this is something very, very important that a lot of people don't realize. And I know that producers are never going to listen to me about this, you know, because because they're not going to watch this for whatever reason. But if they ever do, there's something very important with this. People don't realize that this is, Stephen King as a product is, is a cultural institution. And if you got people that are just being introduced to Stephen King, and not to mention a very, very popular popular book extremely popular book you have to make sure that you're doing it right because this is going to be a way for a new generation to be introduced to Stephen King I am kind of curious why they did this because like the flashbacks structure is really just there for the first three episodes Mm. Um, so it's not like they retooled the whole series to accommodate that Um, and it's like nobody takes on the stand to half ass it all right um, so I am curious, like, why they made the decisions they made. And it's, I'm sure it was, they probably thought, that, I'm, I'm sure they had a reason for it. And I'm hoping it's just, it didn't pan out when they got into editing. Um, happens. Because no, I don't think anybody really sets out to make a bad movie. And of course, when you bring on something like Stephen King's The Stand, nobody looks at that book and like, yeah, this is 1,200 pages of material of awesomeness. I'm going to half-ass this. No, no, nobody gives that kind of commitment just to half-ass it. Um, maybe, so, maybe the movie copyrights were coming up for... Uh, yeah, for I, I'm hoping it's just good intentions gone wrong. Eh. We'll never know. Why was um, Dunkirk edited so ridiculously? We're not here to talk about Dunkirk. Um, so, yeah. So it's very jumbled mm. in the first third. And then for the middle three episodes, and I would even put episode, there are nine episodes in this, I would say even say episode seven falls in this as well. Mm. Overall, I would say those episodes were pretty okay. And I can't help but feel if the beginning, if the setup was there, if the characters were properly developed, I would probably even say that middle portion would be good. Um... For the most part, I thought the actors were very well cast, but just I felt like their performances were let down by the development given to their their characters. Because mm. like the beginnings of their stories are so chopped up and out of order that it's like I feel like I can't properly follow these characters from the beginning of their journeys to their end of their journeys. Mm. It's like I'm trying to piece together the beginnings of their journeys, and now I'm getting the middle and end of their journeys, and it's I don't. I never felt like I was on the same page as the series. Um, but for the most part, I thought the actors did a, did a good job. James Marsden as Stu Redman, who's kind of the main character of the story, played by Gary Sinise in the 94 version. He was good. 
Um, Greg Kinnear played Glenn Bateman, who's a very much an old man in previous versions. But of mm. course, Greg Kinnear, he's not like, he's old. He's maybe like early to mid 50s now, probably. Yeah. But he's not like the 70 year old man in the previous versions. Um, and they make him like this kind of, um, they change his character. All right. Um, there's a lot of faith-based stuff in the original and they kind of move away from that a little bit and which kind of works against the series a little bit in the end, but I'll get to that in a bit, but they definitely change that aspect of his character to somebody way more scientific. And like I said, I was a little, uh, Greg Kinnear is a good actor, but I was unsure about him playing Glenn Bateman just because of the age thing. Yeah, you get that. It was like when they got Chloe, Chloe Moritz to play um, Carrie. Um, or, or Jesse Eisenberg to yeah. play uh, Lex Luthor. Yeah. Um, Chloe is a great actress. Yeah. But Carrie is a high school senior, and she was literally, and in real life, Chloe was the age of a high school freshman. Yeah, exactly. And also, I'm not going to believe that Hit Girl has no self confidence. Yeah. Um, so I was a little concerned about the age thing. Mm. But as far as the changes go for the stand, Greg Kinnear actually ended up being my favorite part of this series. I really liked his portrayal of the character. I thought he brought something new to the character. Can't really go wrong with him. The, yeah. uh, I think he's done pretty good stuff. So. Um, Nick Andros, played by Rob Lowe in the original. Um, he's given like nothing to do in this mm. series. Like I, I love his character in the original. And it's like he's barely a thumbprint mm. in this version, I felt. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, who I'm not really a fan of, when they announced her casting as Mother Abigail, I'm just like, that is perfect casting. But again barely a thumbprint and she's the one calling people to Colorado and so it's like when they do finally start to focus on her a little bit later on I'm just like I don't care because you didn't take the time to actually really set up this character all that well mm. and even same with Randall Flagg who's like the ultimate evil practically the devil pretty much and I felt they barely spent any time with him in fact they really don't spend a lot of time with the evil side so when we do finally see the evil side, it's like, I don't, I only saw snippets of the beginning of their journeys. Um, there's a character, Lloyd, played by Nat Wolf from the Death Note movie. Um, I did not care for his portrayal of Lloyd. I did not like the way Lloyd was written. Lloyd is supposed to be like Randall Flagg's right-hand man, because he's just all out a bad person. Mm. In this version, they kind of change him enough where it's just like, he's not really a bad person at heart. And I was like, that cheapens the good versus evil thing here. You know, I think nowadays they're not, they're not that good on committing to no. something. You know, like, you know, it, it, it's, it's harder for them to have black and white decisions. Yeah, and that really goes against the ending of this version. Because um, in the original versions, it's like, these are good people, these are bad people. And I can understand how that black and white division might not play well for an audience these days. Um, but they just change a few things in the philosophy, keep others, and it just becomes a mishmash. Mm. Um, I understand we're running out of time here, so I'm gonna to try to wrap up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I felt like the actors for the most part were let down. Um, as far as the ending goes, like I said, it's there are 
changes that were made that are like the beginnings of something new that this story could bring. But then they kept other things the same that I felt just go against that philosophy, that new philosophy they were bringing. And it's like, this is dumb now. And then the final episode written by Stephen King is really more of an epilogue. And I'll just say it did not need to be 45 minutes. It was so boring. Um, Stephen King can get really detail-oriented for no yeah. reason. This lamp and then is there's, a lamp of yeah. super lampish. Yeah. And then there's one <laughs> actor. I'm not going to say who it is. I'm not going to say the character. <laughs> but one of the worst performances I've ever seen. All I'll say is, every time you see him, you want to punch him in the face. Th wait, this is oh, beyond okay. that. Wait, I'm dying to know who, which actor. We'll talk uh, about it after the podcast. Yeah, I'm... Oh. He doesn't even yeah. want to justify the name. He who shall not be named. Yeah, it, it's he's an important character for the climax. If you know the story, you know who I'm talking about. Um, just, wow. <laughs> oh... <sighs> That's fine. So, Sounds like a trash character. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I do have more thoughts about this version of The Stand. We're only doing a mini cast today, so I'm not going to take up too much more time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because The Stand is one of my favorite Stephen King stories, and because we talk about Stephen King quite a bit, I thought it was worth at least sharing some of my surface level thoughts on this new version of the miniseries. Um, it's on what was formerly known as CBS All Access, known as Paramount Plus. So if you're itching to rush out to get a Paramount Plus subscription, uh, don't... Who the fuck is doing that? Uh, and I, I, I browsed it, and as far as my tastes go, I, I got what I needed out of it hey, with yeah. this free trial. Um, yeah, I was very disappointed by it. Hopefully, in another 30 years, they can hand the reins over to another creative team that can really just... Dude, call Stephen King. We'll buy it for a yeah. dollar. Dude, how about, how about us? <laughs> we'll do it. Give it to Frank Darabont. Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, The Mist. He's three for three on the Stephen King adaptations. I'll give you that one. Yeah. The, um, uh, Anybody will do it. I will, I will say this, though. This makes me want to watch the 90s one yeah. even more. Mm -hmm. Eh, I mean, for me, it's like, eh. Like you said, like, if I was really into this, it, I would not have taken a full month spacing these episodes out to watch them. Mm. There's that. Fair enough. Zach? Squirrels. The, uh, this, I want to go watch the 90s one way more than I want to watch the 2021, and then maybe never get a uh, Paramount um, a subscription. Who yeah. the fuck is going to buy that? Like, I don't know. The uh, people buy Disney Plus, so ooh, I guess ooh, anything's possible. Knows. So, Brandon, take us out. All right. Well, thank you for listening to my thoughts on the 2020 version of The Stand. Um, it was a bit slower paced today, but thank you for sticking around. Um, hopefully, I'll share thoughts on better movies and shows next time. But you can see and listen to all of our previous episodes of the Nightmares podcast on YouTube or wherever podcasts are available. Also, be sure to follow all of our social media at Midwest Horror Network on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and... Slasher!
And of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, if you could be so awesome to stab that like button, smash that subscribe and click that little dingy bell to be notified every time we drop amazing content right here on MHN, including the Nightmares podcast and a bunch of other really amazing shows. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time on the Nightmares podcast.